You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. I'm so glad to see you guys. My name is Josh Gray. I'm the lead pastor here at Real Life. Excited to be here with you guys. I get to share the stage for the first time in our eight-year relationship, Marty. It's hard to imagine. Eight first years. Time. This is, I know. What a mistake this has been that we haven't got to hang out up on the stage for a multiple times. This is our first time that I get to preach with Marty and share the stage with Marty. Um, pretty excited about this. Uh, when I met Marty, it was uh, eight years ago, and I met him around a campfire at Aaron Couch's house. His beard was about four inches shorter and quite a few shades darker. That's correct. Um, that's what, uh, that's what uh, good living will do for you, right? That's right. That's right. And wisdom, of course. Wisdom, of course. Yes, lots of wisdom. And so, um, so this is my first impression, so I, I get invited over to this um, I guess, fire pit talk or whatever, and, and Marty and Aaron are just like going at it in a fun way with the text, and I, I walked into this, and I was just like, whoa, what did I just walk into? Wow. These guys are, are really having fun with God's word and being passionate about it, and so that was one of my first introductions uh, to Marty, and then uh, as, as he's continued on in our church and been such a huge influence in our sermon clubs, um, from how we're understanding the text and, and taking folks to Israel and Turkey and then uh, his Baymaw classes that he uh, used to do here uh, live. Uh, they were here. My daughter went through that. My daughter actually went to Turkey and to Israel with you in 2016. And so Marty's had a big imp- impact in, in our life just in regards to the text. And then there's this whole other side to Marty that's a very personable, relational side. So uh, when tough things happen in my life, um, Marty would be one of the first people that I would call. When tough things happen in my life, Marty would be one of the first people that would come to my house. Uh, Marty's an excellent listener. Uh, I know we see all the academic and cool things about Marty, but his heart is just as amazing. He's cried with me. Oh, I don't know if you cried. I was crying on my deck when we were back there and, 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 and talking about things that were going on in my life that I needed help with. And I was just asking him before, I actually got to renew he and Becky's vows on their 12-year anniversary. He picked me to renew their vows. It was a pretty special moment. I forgot to, to, to share that. And so when I think about Marty and I think about all the, the neat things that he's been able to do with and around our church, but one of the, the coolest things about Marty is he's the real deal when, it, when we talk about relationship. Uh, he's quick to, to try and repair a relationship. Even when he was probably right in the things that he said, uh, he was quick to repair a relationship with me. He wanted us to be okay. And he worked on that so hard. And so as much as, as, as fun it is to see all the cool things that Marty does with the text. And you know, his uh, Bama podcast has had over a million downloads. Over 55, 55, 1.2 million, sorry, uh, 1.2 million downloads, over 55,000 active subscribers of people that download this podcast and listen to it uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. And so his influence is, is growing quickly, uh, but his impact on our church has been immense uh, for many of our staff members and many of us in this room. And so, uh, Marty, I'm just excited we get a chance to share the stage with you. Yeah. And, and those feelings are, are mutual. I mean, the friendship that I've had with Josh has not been one way. He's been one of the first people I've called when my stuff's hit the fan. Um, 
and uh, it's, been, it's been a great ride. Uh, since we were swapping stories, <laughs> yeah, he already covered like the good stuff, so let me, let me cover some of that. We were sharing on Thursday about some of the first things we can remember in our relationship, a lot of which we can't share here, but one of them, which I probably shouldn't share either, but I'm going to, is one of my first memories of Josh, it was one of his first few weeks in the office here, and I am... We, it was back in those offices when we, we were over by the university. I'm coming back from a meeting. I just parked my car. I'm walking across the parking lot. It's a gorgeous day. The sun is out. Who knows how hot it was? But it was this beautiful day. And out comes Josh Gray, and he's wearing a button snap shirt. And he walks out the door and just goes, <gasps> And there was a lot more Josh Gray back then than there is today. Beautiful sight. I'm sure, I'm sure it inspired you. I will never forget it. That's for sure. And uh, it was amazing. But outside of, outside of the personal relationships which we've had, which have been a big deal, I mean, I remember telling my, uh, I remember Becky and I talking and, and two years ago when we decided that unless God did something, Cincinnati was a place and we were going to be headed that way. Um, I can remember her saying, I'm ready, I'm all in, this is the right thing, we're going to move, I want to do that, but give me two years because I'm not ready to move yet because I have some of the best relationships I've ever had, and we're in one of the best places we've ever been in our whole life. And that was very accurate and very true. And, um, and, and so it's been an amazing place for us on a personal level, just church-wise. Um, I found a place to belong for maybe the first time, maybe. I, that might be unfair, but I, I felt like, and I was also young and really naive and really stupid. Um, but I feel like in a lot of the places I, I have been in before here this last decade, I was tolerated. I was the guy that was kind of on the fringes and always had something to say and, and just kind of like, yeah, humor Marty and then, and then we'll move on with everything. And this was one of the first places where I ever felt like, I remember my first, one of, I think it was my second staff meeting um, and we were talking theology and somebody asked me what I thought, the new guy in the room, and I thought, well, here we go. This will be all for this relationship. And I shared, and the whole room kind of like leaned in and was like, wait a minute, can you tell us more about that? And I was like, what? What is going on here? And just finding a place to belong, which might feel like a weird thing to hear, but uh, this was one of the first places that I felt like somebody said, you have a seat here and a place here and an influence here. And that helped me grow and develop as a person and a leader. Um, I'll, I'll be forever indebted to this last decade here. I have a feeling I'm going to re- be reminded of that when I when I move, uh, how much I've taken that for granted in the years that I've, I've been here. So thank you for that. Hmm. Well, we're super excited to have had you uh, during this time as well. I thought I would help you uh, uh, and give you a little bit of an education on some things you might not know about where you're going. You know now because it's the third time we've talked about it. Yes, but know. he didn't know on Thursday some of these things. So, Marty, did you know that Cincinnati was commonly referred to as the Paris of America. I did not know, but I, I can definitely feel it. When you go there, it's just, it's like, oh, Paris, you know, it's just the, the romantic draw to Cincinnati. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, here's a beautiful view. See that there's a stadium in the back there. That's where the Bengals lose all the time, right? Yes. It's a great bridge. It's a wonderful bridge. It's a Look wonderful bridge there with the stadium in the back. You're not moving there just because you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan, are you? No, sir. Do you think you can pray a win into the playoffs for them? I don't think locale is going to help them at all. <laughs> all right. How about this one, Marty? Uh, uh, let's see here. Cincinnati has been called the chili capital of America and the world. 
because it has more chili restaurants per capita than any other city in the nation or the world. Did you know that? I started, I learned that on my first trip there years ago, um, Skyline Chili, Gold Star Chili, a uh, little, you need to know if you go there, it's a different kind of chili. Um, they put it on noodles. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a total Cincinnati thing. If you go there, choose Gold Star. Skyline puts just a little bit of too much cinnamon in it for my taste. So, And Gold Star happens to be the official chili sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals. The more you know. Hey, very important things for us to know here. How about this? Cincinnati has many nicknames. One of them is the city of seven hills. Tell us the theological uh, implications of that. Well, Rome was known as the city on seven hills, so I don't know if I like where this is headed, so I think we got to just keep moving. Next. Oh, well, let's move on to something totally unrelated and different. And this may seem like a setup, but this is not a setup. This, was, this is just totally the Lord putting us all together. Let's see here. It does feel like the Lord, doesn't it? Wow. Don't worry, this is just the one that goes online. It's no big deal. Uh, Paul and his companions, what, where are we? We're that's, gone. That's my stuff. We're gone. All right. Well, uh, you know what Cincinnati was named after? I do now. Do there you? it is, right there. Okay, there we go. We're fighting. We fight with this. Uh, why was it uh, uh, named Cincinnati? In 1790, the governor of the Northwest Territory, Arthur St. Clair, established Hamilton County. At that time, he decided he did not like the name Lotzenville. The Lotzenville Bengals. Doesn't even sound right, does it? Doesn't sound right. No, Lotzenville. So he changed it to Cincinnati after the Roman citizen soldier Cincinnatius. Fantastic. Welcome to Rome. Welcome to Rome. Uh, So Josh had asked me to share during this series on detours a while ago. So I've been thinking over the last couple months as I think about where our family is at and where we're going and what that experience has been like. And I'm thinking about the text and where do those two worlds come together? The one story that just kept coming to mind for me was the story of Paul in the book of Acts and kind of beyond. But we meet Paul, obviously, in that famous story, Acts chapter 9. Paul is this, uh, uh, he's this character who's breathing murderous threats against the Christians. He wants to exterminate this movement. And he ends up meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I imagine he felt like he took a major detour that day, like 180 degrees. Um, God put a totally different call on his life, changed the direction of where he thought he was headed. Um, he, he ends up spending a few years, apparently just with Jesus, as he tells the story, uh, a, a resurrected Jesus, however that worked. He, he ends up getting educated, learning a new gospel, going and meeting some of the people in the church, and they send him out with Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And they're headed west. They're headed west uh, to Asia, because if you want to impact the world, if you want to change this Gentile world with a gospel, you're going to go to Asia. That's kind of where it's all happening. So they go, they make their first stop on the large island of Cyprus, and there they meet uh, a guy by the name of Sergius Paulus. He is the Roman Secretary of State, Sergius Paulus, and he ends up becoming a believer. And for whatever reason, they take a major detour. They end up heading not west to Asia, they go due north. And they head up into the middle of nowhere to Sergius Paulus' hometown of Pisidian Antioch, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and then back on through. And there's this major detour. Now, one of the things we know about Paul is Paul has this thing from the earliest days of his walk with Jesus. Paul has this passion. Paul has this conviction. Paul has a little flame inside of him that God put there, I would say. God put this flame inside of Paul. Paul wants to go to Rome. Now, that could be for a lot of reasons, whether it's because his first convert was Sergius Paulus, the Roman secretary of state, and he thinks, 
Well, if, I, if, I, if these other people are going to believe the gospel, somebody put me in front of Caesar. Um, or, or, or maybe it was the fact that he wanted to reach the Gentile world and he just thought, what better place to reach the Gentile world than the, 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 than the center of the Gentile world in Rome? I don't, I don't know if that's how that worked, but maybe it's all of it. What we do know is that Paul, throughout his entire life, Paul wants to go to Rome. That is the thing that he wants to accomplish. And that desire was put there by God. But God will not let Paul take a straight shot from point A to point B. Paul's not going to let, excuse me, God's not going to let Paul just realize this passion that he's put inside of him. We read about that in Acts 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Listen to that. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. The spirit of Jesus, would, they were stopped by the spirit. The spirit of Jesus would not let them go where they kept wanting to go. This passion that God had put in Paul's heart, he's not letting him go there. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. He has this vision of this guy in Macedonia. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. So I got to go to Rome, ah, but I got to go to Pisidian Antioch first. I got to go to Rome, but ah, they need me in Macedonia, but I got to go to Rome. And God's like, well, I need you over here. Well, I need you over there. He actually talks about this experience when he writes to the Romans in the letter of Romans. Uh, he, he writes to them because he hasn't been able to make it there yet. The best he's been able to do is write a letter. And so he writes about this experience and he ends up saying this in Romans chapter one. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. Listen, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And pray that, I, that now at last by God's will, the way may be open to me to come to you. I long to see you that I, my, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you. Ever make plans? Ever have a vacation? Not that this is a vacation for Paul. Ever have a vacation that you've just been planning and planning and planning and just can't quite make happen? I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul says, I want to get to Rome. I cannot wait to come visit. I have wanted to come visit you forever. And you, and you think like, okay, he got that out of his system. He didn't. He actually comes back to it at the end of the letter to Romans. He says it yet again. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul says, I'm headed to Spain, and on my way there, I'm going to stop by Rome. <laughs> that's not how it's going to work for Paul, but that's how he thinks it's going to work. That's how he thinks it's going to work. 
I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. But for now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. So Paul says, I have to go to Jerusalem, but after I, after I do my thing in Jerusalem, I'm going to be on my way to Spain, and on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop by Rome, and I'm finally going to get the chance. I want to go to Rome, Paul says. We can actually pick up this story right back in the book of Acts again. Paul ends up saying, we, we read this about Paul. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, just like he told the Romans. Passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Paul wants to go to Rome. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Paul wants to go to Rome. Now he ends up at this point, he does end up going to Rome, not the way he thought he was going to go to Rome. He ends up going to Rome in chains, not, not on his way to Spain, on his way under arrest to talk to to Caesar. Now, I've always kind of wondered, why did God keep detouring Paul, not letting him... Re- God is the one that put this thing inside of him, and then it's God who doesn't let him realize the thing that God put there. Well, if you go back just a few paragraphs before that passage, I think we get an indication. I could be wrong, but I think there's an indication of what God is up to when you read. Here's what, here's what happens just a few paragraphs earlier. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So Paul has this experience, and then at the end of this, now there were about 12 of them in all. About 12, because the Holy Spirit can't remember. Was it 9 or 11 or 13 or 12? I just can't remember. What was it? Or, or is it that the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to know what the exact number? What the Holy Spirit wants you to know is Paul finally is starting to look like somebody else who had 12 disciples. Could it be that the reason that God kept detouring Paul was because he needed to look more and more like Jesus? And until he did, he could not go to Rome. I thought of the Exodus story where God comes and he talks to Moses. And and he says, Moses, I need you to go take a message to Pharaoh. But then one chapter later, God says, no, Moses, I don't need you to just take a message to Pharaoh. I need you to be the message. Exodus 7 says, you will be as God to Pharaoh. You will be as God to Pharaoh. I need you to not just take a message, Moses. I need you to be a message. Paul, I need you not to just take the gospel to Rome. I need you to in some way embody the gospel is part of the reason that God detours us. Not because we're screwing it up or making the wrong decisions or jacking up our life choices. Is part of the reason that God detours us is because he's working on us and shaping us into the person that he wants us to be and that person will look a little bit more like Jesus than when we started. And we know this because at the very end of the book of Acts, we read the last verse of the book of Acts and it says this. This is the last verse of Acts. The following night, nope, 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 sorry, this is not the last verse of Acts. I, but a little brief P.S. I find it interesting that when, when Paul is on his way to Rome, after all of this, God shows up. You know what this experience, somebody reminded me after this after first service. You know what his experience was like before this, before God shows up? He went to everybody and said, I'm going to Rome. You know what everybody in, in Ephesus did uh, when he went to leave to Jerusalem? Everybody in, in Ephesus did exactly what everybody here did. Paul, don't leave. 
Marty, don't leave. We don't want you to leave. You can't leave. Paul, you can't leave. And then somebody shows up and there's like a prophet that shows up and he like takes a belt and he binds him up. He like hog ties himself and says, Paul, this is how you're going to go to Rome. Like, I wonder if somewhere along this little journey, Paul's like, I wonder if I wasn't supposed to go to Rome. But God has to show up after this whole time, a whole life of following his dreams. Paul has to, God has to show up. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, hazak vachamatz in Hebrew, hazak, be of strong faith. So you must also testify in Rome. Paul, I have put this inside of you. This is who I made you to be. You have to make it to Rome. And in fact, that's exactly what ends up happening because here's that last verse of Acts I was talking about. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ in all boldness and without hindrance. The last word in the book of Acts is the Greek word akolaitos. Say akolaitos. Means unhindered or without hindrance is the reason that Paul was hindered at every turn, hindered and hindered and hindered and hindered and Paul was hindered and Paul was hindered and God's hindering me is that is the whole reason that Paul was hindered so that the gospel could be unhindered. Is the reason that Paul was hindered, is the reason that you and I are hindered is because the gospel needs to move on unhindered. I think about my own story with my family in moving to Cincinnati, I can think about the detours that I would have never guessed I would have been here for 10 years on the Palouse. I did not think I was coming here. When I was hired by Impact, I thought I was going to Boise. Everybody thought I was going to Boise. Uh, my boss thought I was going to Boise. My family thought I was going to Boise. It's what made sense. The team here thought I was going to Boise. And then God very directly called me here. It didn't make any sense. We we're like, why? Now I know the ways that I was shaped and developed here over the course of the last decade was it so that I could be ready to do the next thing? And I don't know what the final chapter is for me. I just know that this might be the next chapter. You know, life is like a bunch of doors. And it's funny how the whole time I was here for 10 years, doors would show up, doors and doors and doors and opportunities or job offers to go here or to go there or lots of people around here telling me what I ought to do with my life. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> and you get all these opportunities and it was just like, no, my, my family and I, would, there was never like, oh, no, no. And then out of nowhere, like a door to Cincinnati named after a Roman citizen soldier. Cincinnati, and the door like creaks open and that little flame that God put inside of me, this thing that I've been put here to do, that, that thing, the passion, the conviction that my whole life is about, that door opens and that little flame goes, <gasps> flickers. And I don't even know if I'm reading it right or doing it correctly or whatever, but I do know is that God has always been with me on this side of the doorway and God will be with me on every other, on the side on the other side of any other door that I could possibly walk through. Like sometimes I think we think of life as a bunch of doors and one door has God behind it. It's not true. God is behind every door you will ever walk through as much as he is on this side of every door you've ever been on. But the one thing that I want to do is I want to lean into that thing where the gospel calls, where God's looking for a partner and that thing that I've put you here to do, it's now time, Marty. It's time to you. It's time to move on to the next. I need to take that thing that I've called you to do. We're going to take it somewhere else. And we're going to do something else with that. And I want to show that to my kids. Because I know that God's put something inside of my children and my family and my wife. There's something inside of them. And I want to teach them all that when God opens a door, and even your parents, that would be me, don't even understand it. Or like, don't do that. I don't like that idea. If God calls you through a door because of the thing he's put inside of you, you run through that door because God is looking for partners. 
He's not looking for people to arrive at the, at the finish line safely. God is looking for partners. He's not looking for people to arrive at the finish line safely. Safety is his concern, not ours. What God is looking for is partners. And so I want to model that for my family and my kids, most importantly. I want to model it for other believers. I want to try to figure it out myself. Uh, and that's why we're going. That's what it looks like. Thanks, Marty. Yeah. That's good. You know, uh, one of the themes and things that I have learned from Marty and from a church just as I see that is he would say this phrase, trust the story. Trust God's overarching story of what he's doing in all of our lives. And Marty has been fairly unwavered with this call. We tried to keep him here like a smart church would, right? And we still have our hooks into him at some level uh, because he loves this church and he loves what's going on here. And he has two campuses here that he's uh, involved with and uh, one of his employees lives here. I don't think Brent's moving with you, is he? He's not. Not going? We got Eric, we got Tyler, we got Kirsten, we got a lot of staff I got to come see. Yeah, so Marty gets to be around and be back, but, but he has been unwavered in where God has been really calling him, and he's had some nice offers and some nice opportunities uh, to do those things, but he's going and trusting the story. And I think that's a bigger uh, lesson for all of us, including me, is, is you got to continue to trust the story that God, the creator of, the creator of, of everything, can move his pieces around his people that he loves where he wants them, when he wants them. You know, one of the things we learned also about Israel and about it being really the, the center, kind of the, the trade routes that people have to go to, the, the turnstile of the known world at its time. And where did God put his people? Right smack dab in the middle of the turnstile. And I think about this with Marty, and I don't know that Cincinnati is the, the turnstile, but you know that there's, there was uh, 80% of the U.S. population can be accessed out of Cincinnati within three hours. Marty will spend more time at home with his wife and his kids and his, families, and his family because of where he has to go and reach uh, for, for impact uh, because of where he will be located there. And so uh, it is with the great blessings and honor that we send out Marty, and we're excited about that. And we've sent out lots of folks, and we re- received lots of folks as well. And I just talked to Aaron Couch last week. I was, you know, we chat about every other week or so, asking how things were going. He's like, things are going pretty good, Josh. I'm like, well, tell me, what does that mean? He's like, well, last year at this time, before I was, he was even there, that church was at 12 or 1,300 people going through lots of stuff. Uh, last weekend, they had like 3,000 people there. I'm averaging like 3,000 people. So, yeah, did it hurt when Aaron left? Was it sad? Was it all these things? Absolutely. Does God know what he's doing? Yeah. We've got to trust the story. And how about trusting the story when God brings us people like, like Greg for our, with our worship team and like Darby for home groups and, and Sonny for counseling and all these things? Like, he's moving people, Right? And we're used to that as a community here. This is a, can be a transient community with our colleges and our university, but what happens to them when they're here? I hope we're the type of church that was able to fan the fire that God put in people's heart while they were here. And not just people standing up here fanning the fire, but you in the seats fanning the fire of folks and, and, and soaking each other's fire and being excited about what God's called you to do. You're unhindered. You can be bold and confident in knowing that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and that we can trust the story. So I wanted to say this to Marty. 
Uh, this was uh, what uh, Paul was saying in a letter to the Corinthians. And he said, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And if we could say this almost as a, like this is our family, like, hey, Cincinnati, for this reason, we're going to send you Marty Anthony Solomon. He's one of the guys that we love. And if, if it didn't hurt when he left, then, then something was messed up in the process. It should hurt. It should hurt when people that you love leave and go out. He will remind you of the way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Marty's going to take forth a lot of the things that, that, that he developed here, that he grabbed from here, that we grabbed from him. He's going to take forth out into the community. So we're super excited. That gets to happen. You have full support, Marty, of this church and many of your friends in the body here. We're super excited for you. And, and I know you're going to come back because you like to hunt on occasion. Have you bought the lifetime license? Looking for a little support raising here? Yes. <laughs> lifetime lifetime uh, hunting license here? No, but Marty's, Marty's going to come back and visit with us. He's not gone forever, but he's, he's, he's uh, going on this journey with he and his family, and I'm super honored that uh, we've been able to be a part of his journey uh, at this time. So we're going to take this time to celebrate communion. Marty, why don't you, uh, you uh, get us going for communion? Yeah, communion is uh, something we do every week here. If you're visiting with us, it's an open table. That means if you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, your family, and you take communion with us, just hold on to the bread, hold on to the juice here, and uh, we'll take it all together as a family here in just a moment. Um, one of the things I love about this practice, in a, like there are so many things that you can do, should do, are invited to do at the Lord's table. Um, a lot of things you can remember, a lot of things you can reflect on, a lot of things that you're called to, a lot of things you can celebrate. Um, this morning, as I think about kind of the tone and the topic of our conversation this morning, is I think about the fact that there are Christians everywhere. There's Christians here. There's Christians in Cincinnati, believe it or not. There are, there are Christians in other countries and other places of the world in different time zones. There are Christians that set their clocks ahead and Christians that didn't. There, but there are Christians everywhere that take some bread and they take some juice and no matter their denominational background or the language that's being spoken or anything, we all take this together because we're all a part of this thing that God is doing. Like it's the common table. We call it the common table because it's one of the few things that we will hold in common everywhere. And so when you think about that and as we take communion this morning, I just think about just, just the fact that God's project is going on everywhere and we are invited to be a part of it because God is looking for partners and you don't have to leave the Palouse to do it. I would imagine almost all of us in the room are not being called to move. But there's a project here in Moscow Pullman that God is doing and he's inviting you to be involved. So I just think about that with the bread and the juice this morning. Yeah. And as we're doing that, I, don't, uh, I just think about some questions that we want to ask in our home groups and around the, the table this week um, and I'll have them on the screen eventually here. Um, so uh, what, who are some of the people who have influenced you by living uh, from their God-given strengths and uh, passions? Think about this. Who are some of the people that have influenced you by living from their God-given strengths and passions? I look out over this crowd and I can see people that have influenced me by living out their passions. I've been influenced by Marty. And when God's fanning that flame in your heart of where he's influencing and moving you, he's impacting other people. But if we allow that flame to die and not be fanned, we miss out on some impact. 
So, um, how does Paul's story and experience with detours encourage you on your faith journey? So I don't know about you, Marty. As soon as I became a Christian, life was just super easy. I never had a problem ever again. Velvet ropes, curtains parted, sun shined down on the road in front of me. Shirt busted wide open. Amazing. I mean, for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, no, there's detours. There's detours. And sometimes those detours work right in with Matthew 4.19. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you think the people that followed Jesus thought that he always knew where he was going? Do you think the people that followed him were like, what? They asked lots of questions. There's detours all the way. And part of the making us fishers of men and women, that, part of that's a detour, right? When we are clay in uh, the potter's hands, he's making us, he's forming us, and we weren't perfect just the right out of the gate there. He's working on those things through us, and so he's working on that through me, and I know about you guys. So I think about that. How about this? How does Acts uh, 28, 31 inspire your life for today and for your future? Thank you, brother. Uh, how does it inspire your life for today and for your future? Where are you unhindered? Where is your boldness about what God has for you, about what he has for our our town and our community and the kingdom? Like, what is he calling out? And like, there's something being stirred in our church. There's something being stirred in your hearts. This is not just like a good show that we came to watch, but like there's something in there. There's something in there. Be bold. Be unhindered as you share what God is doing in your life and how he's impacting other people. So again, what stirrings or callings do you feel God has placed within you? How have detours impacted your journey? That night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, uh, actually it was a night where a lot of things happened. I, I have a hard time sometimes trying to imagine what it would have been like to be in that room uh, having that Passover supper with Christ. But during that supper, Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body given for you. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember this big story of Jesus. And later in that meal, he also took a cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant. And whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus. Father God, for the uh, third time here, I just pray. Um, I just pray for us because we really have no idea what we're doing. We we are on this massive journey. We have never uh, predicted our future well. We never have been able to do a five-year plan with much accuracy because we don't understand your detours and we don't understand what you're doing much of the time. And so God, I, I pray that we would just have have open hands. I pray that we would. Listen well. I pray that we would um, respond to the things that you put in front of us. I pray you'd give us a, a spirit of discernment, but I, I pray you would not, uh, that you would help us fight against that, that in the name of, of Jesus, you would um, tear down the, 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 the paralyzed nature of discernment where we feel like we have to get it right because if we get it wrong, God, remind us we're just not that big. We're not that important that we could screw up your story. Hmm. Um, remind us that what we're doing is we're following after you to the best of our ability. And whatever wrong turns we make, whatever screwed up decisions we're a part of, you're with us. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. You'll be there on the other side of all those decisions. And you'll help us always take the next step 
if what we're trying to do is step towards you. So God, we love you. And I just pray this would be very true for us all this morning. And I pray all this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.